It's football and other F-words, and we're going to be saying a lot of F-words today. But most importantly, the biggest one is fuck the Colts. That is, <laughs> it's all one word, fuck the Colts. <laughs> uh, that is the biggest F-word we could say. The Titans have yet again swept the Colts, and Mike Vrabel has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is a far, 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 far superior head coach than Frank Reich could ever dream to be. And not only that, the Colts have, the Titans have thus ended another dynasty. The Matt Ryan Colts dynasty is over. Um, it was a very short-lived dynasty, but it was much ballyhooed by the national media. You like that word, ballyhooed? I enjoyed that. And of course, that was the voice of Mike Herndon, my steely-eyed uh, assassin. What, what did Jim Mercer say? I'm going to call you steely-eyed assassin. We'll steely-eyed steely missile man. That's it. Steely-eyed missile man, Mike Herndon. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mike Herndon NFL. Uh, you can read his articles that are out today at pawkarski.com. And then you can also get a Broadway Insider Pass and have a lot of fun. It's probably going to be like X-rated film session coming up oh. on uh, the Mike Herndon show. And it's, Mike, will you take off your shirt at some point watching these clips? <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't promise that I won't. That's for sure. <laughs> the steely eyed missile man may take off his shirt. So that's one reason why you should get the, go to broadwaysportsme.com and become a Broadway insider today. We of course are also part of the 440 sports podcast network. Um, I made Braden very uncomfortable on Monday show, continually calling Todd Downing a moron and a fucking dumbass. Um, apparently, that may uh, come back to bite Braden in the ass. But hey, he knew what he was getting when he told me when he wanted me on his show. So he knew that, that it was about to happen. <laughs> yeah, it was every time I called him a dumbass and a moron and stupid and an idiot. He, Braden was like, you know, doing the David Letterman, you know, tie pool. He's like, oh, I don't know about uh -oh. this. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, he did do some dumbass things in this game. Yeah. Well, let me tell you who doesn't do dumbass things, and that's Jasper's in Nashville, the best sports bar. They're, of course, doing some amazing fun things over there, not just on game days, but they are doing Predator giveaways, and they are the Predator sports bar, but they are also the sports bar in Nashville, an elevated sports bar. You have two-for-one beers on Sunday. You have board game weeks, you know, on the night uh, that you can go play. And then a bunch of people actually go show up for the board, uh, the board game nights. I've seen a lot of fun pictures. Great, fantastic food. Hand, head over to Jasper's today and tomorrow and every day of the week, not just today, but head over every day of the week and get you something different off their awesome menu and try something new on tap every time. They also have awesome cocktails, great big bar, lots of TVs, projection screens, Ski ball. I mean, they got it all. I mean, if, if your bar, if the bar you're going to has ski ball, it's officially one of the best bars in Nashville. So Jasper's in West End, right across from Vanderbilt. Oh, Mike, this game. Lots of feelings coming out of this game uh, for, for me, I'm sure for you as well. But I think something that Mike Vrabel said and something that I have I felt after watching the game and looking at the game yesterday, like right when the game was over, Grit, grind, like that was, it reminded me of the Zach Randolph Memphis games, Tony Allen. It was fucking ugly. It was physical, but they won and they won with heart. And to me, 
Nothing encapsulated that better than I woke up this morning and I saw the clip of Mike Vrabel with Ben Jones basically collapsing in his arms after the game. And my God, I said it today, but man, if that's Mike McDaniel, he'd be dead. <laughs> like oh, ben, yeah. He could not hold up Ben Jones collapsing his arms. So luckily Mike Vrabel was there to catch him. But that moment was evident throughout the game. I mean, that was a physical slugfest of a game. It wasn't pretty. And Vrabel said it was one of the best wins of his career, and I am very hard-pressed to disagree with him. I definitely know it's the best win of this season, hands down, easily. But I do put it up there in one of the best wins of the season because it just, when you got Cody Hollister as your leading receiver for most of the fucking game and you still win, that shows him as a coach is one of the most unparalleled coaches in the current iteration of the National Football League. Without a doubt. I mean, like, you look at what they were dealing with on offense. I mean, how many plus players did they have on the field on offense in that game? Obviously, Derrick Henry, obviously uh, Ben Jones. But, I mean, Tannehill is a plus still as a quarterback. You know, he's not like a, a superstar, but he's he's better than average. But that's it. He had like three guys um, and Hooper Hooper played his best game. It was a good time for Hooper to show up. And the, the two or well, really all three of Hooper's catches were um, incredibly impactful in this game. Um, so obviously tip of the cap to him after, you know, I said last week, Hey, they might hey, look listen. at trading him, which turned out to, they were thinking about it or at least rumored to be thinking about it. I'm just going to say something. You know how players show up in a contract year? Maybe that was a, a contract week for Austin Hooper. He's, he now he's put something good on film. So now he may, we may get a better draft pick, right? I mean, like that's what they're the John Robinson may be thinking. And I think you kind of saw that they were moving away from Hooper to start this game because Chig was playing a lot early. It was mostly Swaim and Chig, those first few drives out there in, in the 12 personnel sets. And Chig still outsnapped Hooper for the game. So um, it was, it felt like they were ready to go away from Hooper and kind of, you know, write him into more of a, a, a corner of the game plan over there. But, but I, it'll be interesting to see if his plays end up affecting their outlook on, you know, either trading him or, um, you know, just having him be more involved if they, if they do keep him. But it, yeah, fantastic time for him to show up. I thought it was interesting, speaking of Austin Hooper and Chig, to be honest with you, I thought it was interesting that Austin Hooper didn't log one pass-blocking snap. Like, he was out there receiving. They were like, we're not putting you on the line anymore, and he had his best game. That may be not be a coincidence for you Titans staffers that listen to the show. The analytics may show you that Austin Hooper is a better receiver than he is anything else, and maybe you should start using him that way. And I thought it was interesting that they used Chig in basically the Tory Carter role, and he was like 10 times better than anything that we've seen from Tory Carter this season. But he was pancaking guys and everything. He seems to be getting more confident in being as, as an all-around tight end. And I said today on uh, Monday on a football show, in my mind, you should be rotating Jeff Swaim and Austin Hooper out, and Chig should be on the field all the time at this point because he can block. And he's not a liability. Let's say that. He's not a liability. Maybe his highs aren't as high as Jeff Swain in the blocking game, but he's not a liability in the blocking game. But there is no reason that that Jeff Swain pass, his one target where he's floated like and stalled in midair crazily, yeah. like he's just slow, so fucking slow. That should have been a chick pass. 
So I still yeah. get mad about that. But it's I mean I it's think it's tough. the right direction. It's it's tough with the tight ends because I really they have two different positions within the tight end group. Like it's not all just tight ends. Like it, they the inline like why tight end spot and then they have like the move H back kind of spot, which you know both Hooper and Chig really are in that move role more often than not. Uh, and, and, you know, Swaim and Raider are the guys that are more staple to the tackles and, and going to be in line blocking type guys. So it's almost hard for them to use other guys in that Swaim role just because Swaim is the, he's, I know like people get so tired of hearing about how Swaim's best blocking tight end, but he is, he's the, he's the best blocking tight end as far as like physical point of, of attack blocking. Now space blocking, I think you can make an argument Chig is better. But that's a different that's a different deal. Um, and they need they need Swain. They do. They need him um, for that run game because frankly, that's all they got. That's all they got right now is a run game. Yeah. And you know what looks like a, a defense that looks way more like what we expected them uh, to look like before the season. But to get back to your original point, Mike Vrabel is a coaching god. He should never ever <laughs> be doubted or questioned or calls for his firing. I, I don't care at this point whether he ever embraces analytics or, or gives a shit about any of that or, or whatever else, whatever else his flaws are, this guy knows how to get it done in a game and he knows how to beat an opponent that he knows well. And, and you give him two weeks to prepare for a team, he's going to kick their ass more often than not. So I think it's uh, high time that we just say Vrabel's, Vrabel's badass. He's amazing. This was a Vrabel win. This was a 100% of Vrabel win. Well, let's put him back in the in the coach of the year conversation. I mean, I think it's Brian Dable's uh, award to lose yeah. at this point, which can still happen because he still has Daniel Jones as his quarterback and he's yeah. still the Giants, right? I mean, like they could yeah. still go on a massive losing streak at any point. Yeah, but it's I mean, it's his job Allah to lose. Up there too. So yeah. Right now, Mike Vrabel is doing a hell of a job, and I think he's the he's the the next guy up behind Brian Dable, and you know. It's it's another year where they're faced with difficulties and injuries, and really it's maybe not the amount of injuries that they're having, but it's the injury. You can argue that the injury to Harold Landry is almost any, and Taylor One is combined, even Harold Landry alone, or were bigger than any of the injuries they had to overcome last year, right? I mean, they had to overcome a copious amount, but the quality... Besides Henry, besides Henry, yeah, besides Henry, but they easily replaced Henry, and that that's they just did because the run game works, right? I mean, say what you want about the offense of Todd Downing, because we'll say a lot about him. The run game works; it's not pretty, and it works better with Henry, especially in this iteration of the offensive line. But it works, and it worked last year, and you at some point. We know this is a running football team, and that's their bread and butter. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there, and we talked about this a couple of times before. You can make an argument that Jeffrey Simmons is being close to being considered the best defensive player in the, in the league. And he is just a force every time he steps out on the field. And I got so much I want to talk about Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, are we done talking about Mike Vrabel before we before I, we go? I agree I with you though. So. There's there's yeah. nothing else, nothing left to say, and I think it's you know Vrabel's love for his team and and how those guys yes. gutted it out. I thought was moving and very uh, apparent. And and look, I I just think a lot of Vrabel generally and and you know very 
it, it was all on display in this game. It, all of his positives were on display. He has fantastic concealer because he has some big warts with him, but yeah. he uses fantastic concealer because he the what he, he does with the players that he's given. Matt, La, listen, Matt Lafleur over in Green Bay, the 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 pretty boy, bell of the ball for everybody that everybody has, ta- has talked about as being should be coach of the year and blah, 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 blah. He is doing a terrible job. And I think you could argue that they have the better offensive line in Green Bay. They have their better quarterback in Green Bay. Currently, the better offensive weapons. And they still couldn't get it done in, in against Washington, where the Titans just beat this Washington team. So yeah. I'm just saying... What he here's, does. Here's the analogy for Vrabel. And this will, this will go for you F1 fans out there, which I know we've got several, including V love and, and obviously uh, Mr. Lebowski, our, our buddy. Um, but the Vrabel is like, if, if a somebody was winning, like finishing second or third in the points championship every year in a Haas, that is what Vrabel is doing. Like he is taking the Haas and he is winning races and finishing second or third every year. Uh, whereas Matt LaFleur obviously got put in, uh, you know, the, the Red Bull and is, uh, you know, he's, he's cruising to victories. Sure. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, you know, who's the better driver? Is it Fernando Alonso or is it, uh, uh, you know, Checo? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think, uh, I think we know the answer to that, but you know, what you're driving matters, but Vrabel doesn't matter what you put him in. He's going to win. Yeah. And I think I think this ties into the Jeffrey Simmons thing because there's a lot that Jeffrey Simmons, you know, obviously did during the game, but there's a lot that he said before the game and after the game that I think is that ties into Vrabel, ties into this culture, you know, this no fun, no fun uh, locker room, you know, that's here and by an unnamed uh, player that I won't yeah. get into, you know, he debunked that because I think that if you buy into what Vrabel is selling, not only can the you know, I guess the most below average player can find success here if they buy in, which also ties into the Andrew Adams game, trademarked by football and other F-words. Terrence Mitchell. Uh, Yeah, and Terrence Mitchell. But it goes into these guys that bought in, like Jeffrey Simmons, who said leading into the game, the reason they think that they have so much success coming off a buy and by the way, it's defensively, they do a great job off the bye. I think they average before this game, 30 points on offense, 11 points on defense. Like they allow 11 points. So that's a pretty damn good job by the defense in particular. And he said, it's something about coming back from bye and coming into a Mike Vrabel meeting for the first time in a, in a couple of days that just gets you rejuvenated is essentially what he was saying. And, he also said that it was their practice on Monday was the best practice of the year. And it's something about, and this lends credence to why Mike Vrabel is undefeated coming off a bye and has so much time to prepare because these guys love what he does. And then after the game, when he talks about the basically how much a game against the Colts means for this team and particularly for this defense, and he says, you know, Over there in Indianapolis, they built their team from the offensive line out. We built our team from the defensive line out. Now, is that the right way to build a team? We can get into that conversation. 
But I think that means to me that this team just buys into Mike Vrabel, and in particular, your star player outside of Derrick Henry is Jeffrey Simmons, and he is bought in completely. Please sign him soon. Um, but he is bought in completely, and it it trickles all the way through the defense. It does. It, it's... I mean, it's amazing what they're able to do. I mean, you see guys like Dylan Cole out here playing really good football right now. Um, guys like Mario Edwards making an impact. And Tier Tart, which, you know, they basically grabbed out a UDFA and is, you know, obviously was chronicled at the time, you know, was struggling to, to hit a blocking sled uh, when he first showed up. And look at how good Tier Tart is now. He's bullying a $20 million a year, you know, argue, you know, quote unquote, best guard in football. Um, just straight up bullying Quentin Nelson in this game And both Tart and Simmons just owned Quentin Nelson consistently, not to mention Matt Pryor, who just didn't stand a chance against those two, but they players get better. And like, this is something I've harped on for so long about Rabel players get better when they come here. They just get better. They, they, they almost always leave better football players than what they arrived. And ultimately, isn't that what coaching is about? Like it is about taking players, making them better. And, you know, whether they move on to somewhere else or they stay here and thrive like that, that's out of Rabel's hands, but it, he makes them better football players. He increases their value uh, during the time that they spend in Tennessee. And, and I think that just, that tells the whole story, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, we we also talked about when we were talking about David Long in particular about how, you know, there's a good chance that if David Long were to walk in free agency that you're never going to hear his name mentioned ever again because no other team has a Mike Vrabel, right? I mean, maybe Sean McDermott, but are the Bills really going to be going after an inside linebacker, right? Like, it, it's it's just, a, it's incredible what he does with players. And... It, it just goes all the way through this defense, you know, and Jeffrey Simmons in particular is just, he's incredible. And, and yeah. we're not too far removed from a year ago where people were saying Vita Vey is better yeah. uh, and, and saying asinine shit like that. And, and I'll be honest, you don't hear, you haven't heard Aaron Donald's name called a lot. Aaron Donald is still the premier defender in the league more than likely, probably. I would say he commands at least the most respect. But these these other teams are having a hard time stopping Jeffrey Simmons from affecting almost every play, whether it's in the run defense, whether he's just blocking a pass or batting a pass away. He's affecting the play whatsoever, whether he's trying to rip Naheem Hines' head off. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Fuck Naheem Hines, you know? Who cares? Hey, getting away with a uh, pass interference, or not pass interference, get away with a face mask like that that looks pretty blatant, that takes skill, you know, that takes yeah, skill yeah. by Jeffrey Simmons. So it's just another tool in his massive tool chest. I mean, honestly, it's a credit to Naheem's Heim, Naheem Himes' neck that it is still attached to his body at this point after Simmons grabbed him like that. But uh, yeah, Simmons, if you look at, honestly, so Simmons and Donald have both played six games so far. If you look at their stats right up next to each other from a pressure standpoint, um, they are almost identical. I mean, 24 pressures uh each um simmons has five sacks donald has four uh simmons has three quarterback hits donald has three as well uh it is almost line for line identical now, uh sounds like to, to me that though who has more sacks 
Jeffrey Simmons. Simmons. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is some, the socks are definitely more valuable. So, um, but yeah, Simmons is, is an absolute beast. I mean, and you can tell when he gets single blocked, it's over. Like it is over. He is going to win that rep. It almost nobody can, if you do stay in front of him, he's going to walk you back into the pocket. Like he's going to walk you back to the quarterback and, and compress that pocket. And that's something that, when this pass rush is at its absolute best, which I, I felt like it was in this game, it is when these guys are both compressing the pocket and one guy's winning, right? It, it doesn't mean that, – that was something we uh, kind of complained about earlier in the season, I think the Raiders game specifically, when you would get one guy that would win, but nobody else was really around the quarterback. So you have one-on-one in the backfield and and the quarterback's able to buy some time and get the ball away or even escape and, and, you know, make a play downfield. When the pocket is compressed, and I know it's easier to do against Matt Ryan than most quarterbacks because he's a, you know, geriatric statue. But um, when the pocket is compressed and you've got guys winning around the edge, that's where you get sacks. That's where you get these plays where, where it's a turnover or the quarterback's panicking because he is trapped. He has nowhere to go. There's nowhere to escape to. So when Tier Tart is getting a push against a guard, even if he's not technically winning that block, he's just moving the guard three or four yards closer to the quarterback, that it matters tremendously. So Tart and Simmons are excellent at doing that. Bud Dupree is excellent at doing that from an edge standpoint. And Bud Dupree was on fire in this game i mean for for a guy a fantastic that, game for, for him yeah for a guy that uh essentially should be cut by now you oh, you're surprised i'm surprised that bud dupree was able to get seven pressures <laughs> the most of any uh titans player in a single game this year right yes I and i believe he doubled the next best guy i think the next best guy only had three or four so yeah it was four a couple guys had four uh i think uh, simmons had four and uh, i want to say maybe maybe weaver had four and he um, he walked away uninjured right i mean yeah. he played the full game he wasn't injured the bye week did him some good but this is what we talked about 2 weeks ago heading into the bye is that bud dupree is just fucking good like i don't i there, it's kind of like Mike Vrabel to me at this point. If you think that Bud Dupree isn't good and when he's on the field and he doesn't affect everything around him, makes everything better, then you just don't fucking know football. Like at yeah. this point, you just don't know football and you're refusing. I don't know everything about football, but you're refusing to look at and see the facts in front of your face and hear the facts are being spewed into your ear holes. Bud Dupree is fucking good. Yeah. End of discussion. Exactly. Yeah. It, it is. Um, crystal clear that this is a totally different pass rush group with a healthy and you know fully functional Dupree on the field and that was something they didn't have for most of last year because he was coming back from that knee injury which you know took him some time to really get comfortable and to to get into a rhythm but then when you saw that that defense really click into high gear at the end of the last season the reason why is that Bud Dupree was healthy and was wreaking havoc all over the place, joining all these other guys that were already playing good football. So and he looks even better this year. He does look better in, in the, the, he hasn't played a lot. Like he has not played enough. He, he just played the, the, basically the Colt, the, the, the giants game, uh, one series of the first Colts game. And then this last game. And then I think he played maybe one series against Buffalo. That was it. So he's played basically two games um, 
And those have been the two best really like pass rush games of the season. And I don't think that's a coincidence um, because it's something that's been happening with him going back to last year, going back to his time in Pittsburgh. Every time he's on the field, a team's pass rushes just are better. And it's not magic at this point. And it's not small sample size at this point. It is just the truth. Bud Dupree makes your pass rush better. And yeah. and like, he's a, he's a really good player. He needs to stay healthy. Like that bottom line, right. the, what he's getting paid, he needs to stay healthy and produce. I get it. Like, you know, he's getting paid like a guy that needs to be a headliner, but when he is right, he is a headliner. Like he is worth the money if he can stay healthy and that if he plays for the next, what do they have? Uh, uh, 11 games left. He plays the next 11 games. Like he did this past one. He should be going to the pro bowl. Like, and he should be here next year. Like that, that should be, if, well, that's if really going to fuck some up. people up on Twitter. I mean, there's oh, going to yeah. be a lot of cold takes. I'm going to be going through and l- looking that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, that, you know, the contract thing, I think it's, Something I talked about a little bit, I think, on... Uh, well, we talked about it in depth two shows ago. Yeah, and it's... People get so tied up in the contract, the contract, mm-hmm. the contract. It's like, is this guy a good football player or not? That is a different question than, is this guy a good value at his contract? And at some point, the contract doesn't matter anymore, and we're at that point. So, yeah, and... So look at this. I love him. Okay, so you overpaid for Bud Dupree, but you fucking underpaid for Danico Autry. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Because listen, you go into Zach Kiefer or Stephen Holder's tweets about Danico Autry in particular during yesterday's game. You have Colts fans begging, crying, wishing they had Danico Autry still on their team and wishing they didn't fucking pay Quentin Nelson. That's how fucked up the Colts are right now. (laughs) (laughs) Is that they hate Quentin Nelson who is arguably probably their best player on offense, and they fucking hate him and think he's overpaid. So if you think Bud Dupree is overpaid, listen to what these Colts friends are saying. Like, they think Quentin Nelson's overpaid. And listen, Danico Autry, we talked about it. Uh, shit, I can't, I mean, I don't have time to look it up, but there was some guy that replied to a tweet where we were making fun of the Colts fan who said Danico Autry's only good when he plays the Colts, which is fucking yeah. asinine in itself. Yeah. And he asked, is this the best defensive signing, free agent signing that John Robinson's made? Obviously, Brian Arakpo's on there. But really, in reality, the Titans have done pretty well getting free agent defenders. But I would agree and say Danico Autry is the best defensive free agent that he has signed for the value and the production that you get on the field. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's an absolute monster. And if you go back to when he came to Indy. So when when he arrived at Indy in 2018 and you look at 2018 to current day, he is 20th in the NFL in sacks uh overall and he has like I think it was 34 sacks during that time period. And he had his tied for his best season um in the NFL last year and he's probably going to beat that this year because he's already at 5 sacks through 6 games and you know all he has to do is get four more over the next 11 which he is absolutely going to do barring some sort of uh, crazy injury. So uh, Autry is an absolute menace. And I'd say his impact goes even beyond just his personal numbers because of how elite he is as a picker on all these like stunt plays. And we've talked about it before. I know, but he is so violent with these picks. Like he obliterates offensive linemen and, and just creates havoc everywhere he goes. And it's a joy to watch him. And he's, 
incredible to to just like if you just want to have fun watching a titans game all you have to do is watch 96 and 98 like pretty much every snap because it is pure chaos around them they're just flinging bodies into the ether it, it is amazing um so you know i know offense is fun and all that but the, there are some dudes on the titans doing some stuff but they just happen to be in the defensive line can, can i say something real quick and yeah. you may not know this Danico Autry has zero Pro Bowls. That's that's crazy. Today, on this podcast, and I'll probably start it on Monday or Tuesday, you know how we try to get Ferkser for the Pro Bowl? We're yeah. going to Autry for the Pro Bowl. We're going to go massive ad campaign. And you know I don't give a shit about the Pro Bowl. But yeah. I love Danico Autry so fucking much as, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a Titans player. He's, one of, he's grown into one of my... One of the Titans players I just love watching play. Like I just can't get over it. Yeah. the fact he's never been to a Pro Bowl is is an outstanding disgrace by voters. And we as and I'm going to employ Titans Film Room to make a hype video just for Danico Autry because it needs to happen. Danico Autry deserves the Pro Bowl this year. He deserved it last year and he didn't get it. He's going to get it this year. Yeah, well, yeah, Autry for Pro Bowl. It starts here. I don't know if we wanted to call him Pro Bowl Altery or maybe uh, Danico Pro Bowl or something. Danico to the Pro Bowl. Um, uh, we'll stop it. Yeah, yeah. Stop it. But the, the, talk about he's got to go. Okay, Mike. The Titans have now exhausted every kind of scenario until Elijah Moulton gets back to make sure that Caleb Farley never sees the fucking field again because they put Amani Hooker in the slot. He was targeted eight times, allowed eight catches, but that's okay in the big scheme of things. But that, to me, tells me they are done with Caleb Farley for this season. See you next year unless you start you know, doing something in practice. And look, it's not a confidence issue with Caleb Farley because he has all the confidence in the world. He was asked, I believe, by Kayla Anderson, it was her video. I, I'm assuming she's the one who asked the question. But he said, you know, it took me a while to make it click in college. It's taken me a while now to make it click in college. But when it when it clicks, you guys will forget all about, you know, those first four games. And and that's fine. Which which so he's, hopefully he's right. He's right, except it's going to take at least three years for, yeah. for Titans fans to catch up. There's a lag. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that is fine. But, you know, I am not banking on it. But the Titans right now, they're doing everything they can to make sure that Caleb Farley never sees the de a defensive snap. Yeah, as they should be, because he's been really bad. Um, but, you know, I think the Molden thing, they need Molden. They, they really do, because I feel like that's going to be the guy that can kind of put all the pieces back where they go in this defense. And, you know, it's weird that it's the case, because, like, I don't think Molden's, like, necessarily a superstar. I think he's a good player, but... um just having McCreary back outside, I felt like made a difference because he just looks so much more comfortable out there. Um, it's an easier, it's an easier spot to play. So like, it's, it's definitely, uh, I think something that you, you can see McCreary excel outside a little bit more uh, than you can see him excel in the slot. Because the slot's just such a highly specialized deal. And it's so much more complicated because you're a part of the run fit and, and you're, uh you've got you know every route is a two-way go which means you know you're not necessarily able to use the sideline to help you uh kind of cut down space and everything so there, there's a lot that goes into it but getting molden back 
would be a big deal. Um, and they do need, they do need him. I, I don't know when he's going to come back. Obviously he was spotted in the locker room last week, I think for the first time in a while. So maybe he's getting closer, but, um, you know, it didn't it, sound like on the Monday's press conference with Mike Vrabel that he expected really anybody to be activated off of it. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. He usually he's been hinting at that on, on the Monday presser. So it didn't, he didn't hint at one this time. So I'm guessing, uh, I'm guessing it'll be another week on Molden, but, um, at least, you know, who knows it could be two or three more or whatever. It, it we could be in an, in a Dory Jackson situation. We never know, but, yeah, oh, um, Molden, Molden coming back would be a big deal, but I, I was glad to see them try hooker in the slot just to, I mean, I think they're just trying to figure out how do they get their best, you know, five or six DBs on the field together. Um, and frankly, Andrew, Andrew Adams has played well enough that, you know, it, he's one of those guys right now for them. So that was able to get him on the field and use still use hooker and everything. So I, I thought it was smart for them to try that. Um, uh, you know, I don't know how much you Smart want to, to try against the Colts. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the kind of offense where you fit. You could probably get away with doing something like that. Like, if you go yeah. up against the Chiefs, possibly not. That could possibly burn you. But I, I want to say this about the Andrew Adams game. I'm coming for you, 104.5, because you guys are not crediting me, and I'm sick of it. <laughs> Ramon, Kayla, and Will this morning, they didn't, uh, on Monday morning, they called the Andrew Adams game, didn't credit me. Buck Ryzen said it at the top of his show, didn't fucking credit me. And Lucas knows that I said it. He, 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 will, he willfully and knowingly tried to steal that tweet from, from me. <laughs> and where were you, though, Mike, when the Andrew Adams game happened? I was sitting in section 343, uh, row V. Oh and so were you touching Robert Brazil's uh, uh, ring of honor sign? <laughs> I was. I was smacking it on every third down. Uh, but uh, no, I was, uh, yeah, I was up there. And uh, yeah, watching. And it, the, the pick happened right in front of me. I saw it all the way. It was, uh, you know, you could just see the ball as soon as it gets released. And it's like, oh, wow, he's got an angle on that. He's going to pick it. And, and like. It was it was amazing. That was great. It was a great play. Obviously, I mean Paris Campbell running some other route than what Matt Ryan thought he was running. Um, but yeah, and Adams had made a play already before that. So you know, it, it was a great game. You know, a huge play, absolutely enormous play because the offense just was not. You knew kind of the offense was going to struggle in this game just because of the personnel that was out there. I know oh, people when they like, announced the starting wide receivers and there were only four of them, you knew it was fucking uh, going to be a shit show. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, when, this, when the four wide receivers you've got are Robert Woods, Nick Westbrook, Akine, uh, Cody Hollister, and Mason Kinsey, that is not going to be – it's not going to be offensive fireworks in that game, um, and especially not when you don't have – you know, arguably your best offensive lineman in uh, Nate Davis, and you got Raiden's thrown in there, and yeah, you know, and we already know what the daily situation is on the other side. So they're just the offense was going to be what it was going to be. It was, it was one of those games, but the defense had to make a play like that, and they did. Um, and look, this this is what we expected before the season. I think we were all kind of like this this defense is going to be a top five group this is a yeah. really good defense and the landry injury kind of put a little bit of a damper on that um but not much you know i think i adjusted my expectations from like okay they'll be top five to they'll probably be top 10 they could still be top five potentially but um this was a lot more like it this is what i expected to see lots of pressure lots of turnovers 
um, nowhere to go for the run game. Um, the Colts basically gave up even trying to run the ball for the most part in this game. Um, even though they, Taylor had, uh, you know, some success, uh, running the football, though. I think a, a lot of it was just on a couple runs. Um, so it, it was, it was a great performance all around by the defense. Like in, no, no complaints, no complaints. Kevin Byard apparently just shut down who, whatever side of the field he was on. Cause he got zero targets during his way, which is the first time in a long time mm-hmm. uh, that, that that's happened. So good, th- good things were just happening even with Amani hooker in a different position. And the tight ends disappeared for the yeah. Colts. Yeah, it was, it was just a very, very good defensive performance all the way through before we get into the bad and the offensive performance. Uh, just want to thank our sponsor, Jaspers, two for one on Sundays. Head over there to watch the Texans game, which is at 3.05 Central Standard Time, but I don't know why it's an afternoon oh. game. I thought that was weird. Unless what, Joe Hunk was wrong on 104.5 when he did a, some drop. Maybe it's Lucas, I think, that did the drop. I don't know. Uh, but I was like, whoa, 3.05? I was like, that's whoa. weird. Yeah. Um, it's in Houston, so it's perfect time it to go to a bar to watch the game with some fellow Titans fans, two for one Sunday at Jasper's this offense. It's the only thing holding this team back and is holding its back, it back like a ball and chain. It's like a, a, it's Atlas shrugs where he's like carrying up. The defense is having to carry up that boulder right up the hill. I don't think it's Atlas shrug, but it's Atlas. Um, Mike, offense i just don't know where to begin um a left tackle is a problem eric smith's yeah. not going to solve it apparently no. la raven clark is not going to solve it jamarco jones is not going to solve it and dennis daly's not going to solve it you know why they're not going to solve it because all four of those guys are the same guy and they're all crap <laughs> so if nate davis gets healthy has dylan radens shown you anything that he could be less of a liability, just less of a liability at left tackle than Dennis Staley. I think so, yes. I mean, like, he is, uh, you know, Raiden's, based on PFF charting, was credited with one pressure allowed in this game. Um, so, look, in blocking at guard is way different than blocking it at left tackle. Um, so, it's not necessarily to mean that, you know, he'd be really good over there or anything. but. I, he looks okay. He he doesn't look like a total disaster. Um, and Daly still looks like a total disaster. Um, you know, Daly only was credited with two pressures allowed, but it, I felt like there was more. Um, uh, I, I know I saw Yanni Kingakwe running around, uh, unchecked a lot, uh, on pass down. So, um, yeah, it, it's, I think rated like, if if Davis comes back, I would love for them to try Raidens at left tackle. The one game against San Francisco went okay. Like they, that wasn't a total disaster either. It's been less of a disaster than what Daly has been consistently this year. So I'm ready. I'm ready for for Raidens to be tried there. If uh, if if Davis comes back, they desperately need Davis back either way. Mike, I'm not asking whether they will or not. So I want, I want to throw that out there. I'm not asking you to make a prediction that they will. But don't the Titans have to make a move for a wide receiver of some sort? And not, you know, I'm not talking like signing CJ Board's brother, BJ Board, to the to the practice squad. I mean, like a real 
a real signing, like a Will Fuller, uh, whatever free agents are out there, OBJ, or trading for a guy. Obviously, DJ Moore, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, or maybe his last week's episode, we talked about that a, a Glazer had said that DJ Moore is not going to be available, which makes yeah. sense if you're trying to do a rebuild. You need to have some key you know, components to build around. And to make the job attractive. Yeah, right. So, don't you think that... Do you think that the best way for the Tennessee Titans to do something to try to fix the offense is to try to get a wide receiver? Like, if you... Let me let me put it to you this way. Which is a quicker fix for the offense? Signing a free agent left tackle that's out there that's not Eric Smith and that kind of maybe like an Eric Fisher. Mm. Signing or trading for a wide receiver, and you could trade for a left tackle as well. Or firing Todd Downing. Those are your three <laughs> choices. What is the quickest fix? I mean, honestly, I don't think firing Downing is going to really do anything um, because at this point, I think it's I don't I don't, would not expect Tim Kelly to be able to make, uh, you know, uh, this offense hum with Cody Hollister as your third wide receiver. Um, but I don't I, I think wide receivers probably where I would lean, um, you know, left tackle. I guess maybe that's that's the. Maybe the reason I'm believing that is because I feel like Raiden's has a better chance of being a serviceable left tackle than any of these other guys have a chance of being a serviceable go-to wide receiver. Because that's the thing. They don't have any go-to wide receiver at all. Like, Woods is fine. He's okay. But he is absolutely better to be a second option um, or a third option even. So uh, it is... um, and I know like Burks theoretically could be back in two weeks, which would dramatically change how things could look for this offense. But even if you get Burks back, you still feel like you're a guy away, right? Like from really having an offense that could contend with any of these other top teams. So it seems like you have to have technically like, a 1A, 1B, 1C wide receiver to contend with some of these uh, teams or an elite quarterback. It's like you don't have to have both, but you have to have one or the other. And yeah. right now, they don't have either. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I, and I don't know who, who it would be. I kind of like the uh, idea of like the Denver receivers, Jerry Judy or KJ Hamler. Um, really, either one. I honestly like, I know Judy is probably the, bigger talent overall but but hamler kind of fits um what they like to do from the fact that he's you know got got a lot of speed he could bring that element to this offense and he's also a good run after the catch guy um so i i think denver would be an interesting trade partner for them um but yeah i would love to see them do something because i mean even if like them at losing kyle phillips for this game hurt you know that, that step down from phillips to kenzie is dramatic massive um, yes. <laughs> it's a massive um, step down so getting phillips back would help getting burks back would help a lot i think but still they just need they need a few more pieces i feel and then and even then you don't want to be sitting there with like well all of our guys absolutely have to be healthy to have any sort of hope of having a decent passing offense i mean they they've gone three of the last four weeks they've passed for less than 
150 yards in you know in the games and they've won all all those games uh somehow but it is they are literally just defense and derrick henry right now um as far as this goes and Tannehill does a good enough job of like protecting the ball and and you know moving it down the field that it's not just totally stagnant um but they don't have any explosiveness in the passing game whatsoever or you know any any real threat so yeah it it feels like they've got to make a trade i i don't necessarily expect them to but right i mean it's it feels like they need another piece and you know because of injuries really in the a lack of ability the offensive line doesn't provide you enough time to wait on Traylon Burks and Kyle Phillips to catch on, right? To yeah. go through the rookie growing pains and, you know, maybe get some targets thrown their way because there's not enough time to block. So you have to get someone that is a step above them that can possibly provide some relief for the offensive line. You know, I don't expect them to make a trade either, but I sure would love for them to do something different so they can avoid putting Malik Willis in the wide receiver spot and run a fucking end around. That, what? Given, given the situation in the game and how the game was going at that point, one of the most indefensible calls I've ever, ever seen. Like, ever. It's so bad. To have this be the first time you're trying to give this guy a handoff in an NFL game on third and whatever it was, it was third and relatively short. It was like what third and three, maybe. Yeah. Um, and you're trying to give him a handoff on an in around. Like, look, I think Willis screwed up the play more so than I mean Tannehill not being able to push off of that foot didn't help. But uh, Willis, you can see he kind of bubbles out before. He was kind of fucking like tr- thrown a, a forearm. Uh, and, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and he, when he took the ball, he tried to like take it like this and not like, I mean, it, you know, taking an NFL handoff is like a very specific thing. Like you put your arms out like this and, and like trap it down. Whereas Willis was like trying to take the ball like it was. His hands were not in the right spot. He bubbled out like away from Tannehill. I'm sure he was like worried about clipping him on the way through maybe, but it still, I mean, it was a total disaster. It's like the one thing you couldn't have happen right there. Cause at that point when they were up nine, right? Yeah. When that happened and, and all they had to do, even if they don't get it there, they can run another 40 seconds off the clock and then punt it down and, and hopefully pin them inside the 10. And, and still you feel great about winning the football game at that point. Cause they would have to drive the length of the field, you know, to score and then get the ball back and try to do that again. So just ridiculous play call. It, the worst play call that he's made by far. I mean, uh, I, yeah, I, I think I would agree with you. Um, you know, first off you have Hilliard. And then you have, um, I mean, hell, you, you could even do Mason Kinsey or something. But if you're going to do that, here's, I guess, I guess I, it, I have such a hard time figuring out where I want to start with this play because I fucking hate it so much. Um, let's start with Blaine. Okay. Yeah, Malik Willis didn't take the handoff. Okay, well, the offensive line wasn't going to block either because the the, the, the Basically, the Colts knew it was going to be a run play, and the way that they construct that particular uh, play is Malik Willis is like right there in the middle where they'd normally be running up Derrick Henry, so all the defenders are already expecting 
that the, a ball is going to be a handoff right there. Okay, then Ryan Tannehill's bum in foot is he can't push off of it, so it's just an utter disaster. Yeah, it was going to lose yardage even if it makes right, even if they make the handoff. Yeah, I mean, obviously you don't want the the turnover, but even if he caught it, it, it was hell. He probably could have got his shit kicked in by the a defender probably <laughs> jarred the ball loose too yeah, DeForest Buckner was like three yards upfield waiting for him and just yeah. ready to light his ass up you know I I look at it and I think you know this is one of those dumbass plays that they say well we saw something in the defensive formation and we think that we can really take advantage of this with this play they obviously did not practice it enough and they obviously did not teach proper technique because Malik Willis had no clue how to take a handoff. It's like he's never seen a fucking football before. And that is on the coaching. And I get that it's Malik Willis' job to execute, but obviously someone didn't tell him or make him comfortable enough to do this. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, why didn't Tannehill check out of the play? Well, it's because the play was called based on the formation that you see. So the formation he sees when he gets up to the line matches the play. The problem is, is that they're doing the Chig play, the Chigokonku play from the Giants game, with a worse offensive line and with a guy that doesn't play the position that you're asking him to do. It's madness. That is that is the most infuriating play. It is the worst play call I've seen in the Todd Downing era, and it's probably one of the worst play calls I've seen in a long, long time by the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, it was it was absolutely ridiculous, and let's. And it it was first and ten, so I, I misremembered on the down and distance. But it was first and ten after the Titans had picked up a couple first downs, just running the football. They, they were running the ball fine. They were moving the ball. It looked like they were ready to go. You know, score a potential knockout punch if they could have just kept the ball, kept the chains moving, keep taking time off the clock or taking those timeouts out of their pocket. Um, so I don't understand the need for it on the first and ten, and then. Too, you know, like like you said, why why is Willis the choice there? I, I mean, I get Willis's dynamic with the ball in his hands, and you you know you're trying to mix things up a little bit because you know the Colts know you're running um, at this point because Tannehill's injured. But also, Willis is your backup quarterback, and if Tannehill is injured and like already kind of you know dragging a leg here. You definitely don't want to get your backup quarterback injured and be down to Logan Woodside, uh, potentially is the only healthy quarterback heading into, you know, Houston next week. So it's it's just absolute madness and insanity that uh, this call was made. the The design of it, everything about it was bad. It was it was horrific. And if the Titans had somehow lost this game because of this this play it would have been like i i don't know how they would have been able to keep downing in a job for it i, I mean that is a that you hate to like say one play is a fireable offense but that is as close as you get to just like a fireable offense for one play uh as you possibly can because there's zero about that that made any sense or any logical anything it was so stupid all right I think that's that's it for the uh, the offense. I mean, there's nothing really to report on Ryan Tannehill there at this time. Uh, I'm sure he's going to play in the Texans game, and you, you know think? he yeah, I think so. I think he'll play. I, I think I I don't think he'll be 100. percent I just think he'll yeah. play. 
I, I could see it. It'll be interesting to see how things like progress throughout the week, I guess. Yeah. But it's, I would be surprised if he practices at all. No, I don't think oh. he'll practice. And now we'll send everybody into a tailspin for a few days. It'll be fun, some fun drama on Twitter. Yeah. Um, the, and I don't think he's been, again, low on the totem pole of uh, problems with this offense, uh, for sure. Still, still there, still low. Um, Let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you think they could win this game with Malik Willis starting at quarterback? Unpopular opinion, but I don't think they can. I, I think the Texans play teams really, really close, and you have to play. This is going to be the game where you can't allow mistakes to happen. Yeah. And turnovers and holding the ball on too long and fumbles, which and interceptions, which are rookie quarter quarterbacks are prone to in their first game out. And it's not knock on Malik Willis. It's more about talking about quarterbacks in I general, mean, rookie quarterbacks look in general. Kenny Pickett on Monday right. or on Sunday night. It, it was it's just a disaster. indefensible picks. And you're gonna put him behind this offensive line, a rookie quarterback with this offensive line with no weapons whatsoever. At, if any, <laughs> I don't want to bring up his name. There's a good chance Logan Woodside's getting called up this week. I hate to say it like Beetlejuice, and here he comes popping up. But look, your best chance to beat the Texans is not Logan Woodside and is not Malik Willis, okay? I think that the, you have a good chance of losing those games, a very, very high percentage chance that you're going to lose those games with either of those quarterbacks. I'd yeah. much rather see Malik Willis play than Logan Woodside. I will say that. But I, you, if you want to win this game, it's got to be Ron Tannehill. This game, this Texans team is not a team you could fuck around with and, and think you're going to win because they okay. they play teams really close, down to the wire almost every week. Yeah, they lose, but that doesn't mean that they can't win one, right? I mean, yeah. I, well, they, I think they that's why. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? You think the same? Yeah, I, I think the same. I, I think. I mean, this this Texans team beat this Titans team last year when this Titans team was healthier, um, you know, in that disaster rain game at home. So they absolutely could uh, beat the Titans. You know, I, and the, their defense has been good they, up until like this last week, they give up 38 to the Raiders and kind of finally caved in a little bit. But uh, the first five weeks, they were pretty good defensively for the most part. So I think, the defense is is decent. Um, the offense is not very good, but it, you know, look, Davis Mills got super hot uh, in that game in Houston last year and gave the Titans a scare, and that and that was when the defense was playing at its absolute best. So, yes, this this is absolutely a game the Titans could lose, regardless of who's at quarterback, especially if it's you know if it's a very limited Ryan Tannehill. Uh, that's almost even more concerning um you know the titans can't afford to beat themselves but they also can't afford to just totally hold rely on their defense to hold uh i think it's the worst time to have a divisional opponent like i feel like if this was like maybe the cowboys they'd probably roll malik willis out there you know what i'm saying like if it's an nfc game and a divisional opponent i think they would maybe take a chance and risk uh and risk a loss and but rest Ryan Tannehill but I just think because it's the Texans and an in-division opponent that I think Ryan Tannehill is probably just going to force his way out there yeah I could I could see that I, I kind of think that's how it's going to go but I think there is an off I could see a scenario where they're like Tannehill's not going to be anywhere close to 100 percent why don't we 
devise a game plan where we're going to use Malik Willis and try to like surprise the Texans with some stuff. Um, and we'll, we'll see if we can't buy a week of, of Tannehill off of his feet. They did do that with the blank with Blaine Gabbert. You remember they were pulling out all kinds of trick plays that game to to get that one done. And let me say this Malik is better than Blaine Gabbert. I don't care what anybody fucking says. (laughs) Yeah. Better than Blaine Gabbert. I agree. Okay. I want before we get into the Texans game, I we have to talk this disaster of a of a season for the Indianapolis Colts. Oh because, God, yes. Because these guys, first off, it came out on on Sunday before the game that Matt Ryan is basically Peyton Manning in Jim Mercedes' eyes. Then then he goes and gets, you know hit about 10 times and, and gets all those pressures and throws an interception, throws a pick six and all this stuff that happened. And then Michael Pittman, who catches fucking everything, according to Zach Kiefer, he tweeted that out. He catches everything. Yeah, he did catch a ball, but then he let it go as a fumble and Terrence Mitchell got that too. The turnovers everywhere. The offensive line stinks, which they've poured a lot of money into it. Their quarterback situation has stunk for five years now, ever since Andrew Luck retired, which is not an excuse anymore. Let me say that again. It was an excuse for the Jacoby Brissett year, and then every year after that, the GM that everybody touts is awesome made mistake after mistake after mistake using Band-Aid to try to pass uh, patch open a gaping head wound for this quarterback position. So... After the game, everybody's talking about oh the guts and Matt Ryan's talking about leadership and he was the last person to leave and the locker room and he you know blah 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 blah. Jim Mercey walked silently to his golf cart. His <laughs> it was the greatest video ever. Doesn't say anything because you know it's eating him alive. You know it's just he's fucking eating him alive. Yeah. And then today on Monday when we were recording this, they benched him. Now, part of it is because of a, sh- a grade two shoulder sprain, a shoulder injury. But you could almost see the, the, that morning, there were a couple of Colts, Colts articles from The Athletic talking about it's Sam time. Yep. And, and now that Sam has been named the starter, the Indianapolis beat writers have already... <coughs> begun gaslighting their fans yet again trying to convince them that sam is an impressive impressive quarterback and this team is going to be even better i will say this the team is going to probably be able to take more deep shots which michael Pittman, after the game said we we have the playmakers just nobody to get us the ball and they're not calling plays to get us the ball deep so all this to say i don't want to hear anymore about chris ballard being g uh, the best GM ever. And I don't, and I think that you could tell by the reactions from a lot of the national sports writers, particularly Tom Pelissero, in the same time that Ian Rappaport told everybody that uh, uh, Jim Ursay called Matt Ryan a steely eyed missile man, Tom <laughs> Pelissero goes on to do his spot right afterwards and is so morose. It's like someone ran over his dog, then, then shot his wife. Like it was, he's like at a funeral. So that to me knows that man had money on the Colts to win the Super yeah. Bowl or something. I'm tired of it. We've been tired of it, but it officially ends. 
It's done. Colts are it, done. Colts hype is done. You say that, but just wait. Just wait till Sam Ellinger has one good game and they go, oh, my God, look at this. this the Colts <laughs> are back. They're going to track down the, the Titans in the division. It, it'll happen again. It, it always happens with the team. I don't know what it is about the Colts, but the, the media is like moth to a flame. They cannot help but just slather themselves up in some horseshoe uh memorabilia and just go nuts on on indy because it's unbelievable how much how many excuses they're given i mean you know people sit here and just talk about how bad the titans are and you know all oh, the titans stink and then every year it's uh well the colts oh the colts the colts are gonna be so good look at they they've got all the pieces in place just they just needed the quarterback and now they've got the quarterback and the uh, the Reggie Wayne uh, quote about just makes him want to throw up. How much he makes uh, reminds him of Peyton Manning. I'm just like rolling around in shit all day today, enjoying uh, all this just Colts just disaster falling down around. It's it's wonderful. It's so much fun. Matt, like Matt Ryan was in decline for five years. Five years, and I don't care who he was playing with in Atlanta. He wasn't going to a better situation. Marcus is playing with the same cast of characters without Calvin Ridley. Same yeah. cast of characters, and he's doing better than Matt Ryan was. Yeah, yeah. And at some point, it's just I, I I don't understand how like what it is about that team, but they are. It's unbelievable how much credit they're given for how little they've done. Uh, during the Ballard and Reich era, and, and it's insane because you look. I think Ballard's record now is like it's basically five hundred, but he's getting absolutely dominated in the division uh, by the Titans. This Titans team that everyone you know always says stinks and is not any good and is fraudulent or whatever. Um, but all they do is just keep winning football games. I mean, Mike Vrabel's like twenty games above five hundred now. Um, but it's uh, it's just. It's unbelievable. Matt Ryan, like the the fact that people really thought Matt Ryan was going to take this Colts team to a Super Bowl is laughable. It was laughable at the time. And it's even more laughable now. But I mean, it, like, I, I don't know how they just like pull the wool over people's eyes every year, but it, it's hilarious. And I love watching it. And I love watching all these Colts fans get all gassed up for Matt Matt Ryan. All off season talking about oh look at him I mean, look what a leader you know look he's organizing uh, team team lunches um, and then he comes out here and just shits all over himself as soon as he sees Jeffrey Simmons and, and throws it right to uh, you know the safety the Titans signed off the street like three weeks ago so um, yeah eat shit Colts fans like y'all are the worst you're awful to deal with you're awful to talk to because you're always you know just in La La Land, you believe all this shit that your Homer media spews out every week uh, about. Oh, look at all these great weapons, these great young weapons the Colts have. They're fine. The light has come on. I mean, Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman are like MJ and uh, and Pippen. I mean, what? Get a load of these two. And then, uh, yeah, so they, they're they uh, Larry and, Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden, haven't you heard? Oh, that's right, that's right. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah, Fitzgerald. Well, who was it that said Fitzgerald uh, that Michael Pittman was? Larry Fitzgerald, I can't it even was, remember. It uh, was some uh, anonymous GM, a.k.a. Chris Ballard. Oh, that's right. That's right. It was Chris <laughs> Ballard. Uh, but, 
Yeah, they they put out these these overhyped quotes and shit, and it's just it's so funny. It's so funny to watch it all. Like, because if you watch them play, it's plainly obvious that none of this shit is true. So I, I just I don't understand the lot. Like their defense is good. Their defense is legit good. Their offense is a train wreck, and it is not going to get any better with Ellinger. Because like, look, I like Sam Ellinger. I'm a I'm a Texas alum. I loved watching Sam play um in the burn orange but look i didn't think he was a pro level quarterback as a texas fan um i thought he was like maybe a backup maybe um i don't think he's gonna make anything better i honestly i it almost feels like ursay because it, it sounds to me like based on i think stephen holder had a tweet out that basically said there was a meeting between ballard reich and ursay and what came out of it was Ellinger was going to be the guy. And it sounds like it was Ursay that made the call. So Ursay basically inserting this guy almost feels to me like, I don't know if he really thinks he's going to fix it or if, if this is him basically tanking, trying to tank to get in position to take CJ Stroud or, or what, or whoever. Um, but I don't think the I don't think, I think the Titans won the division. I think they won the division this weekend. It's over, yeah. right? I'm going to call it now. Yeah, I would I would pretty much have to agree with you. I mean, that's what we essentially said last week. If, if you sweep the Colts, you pretty much have the division in play. And and we called it last year after they yeah. beat the Colts the second time. The Let's get to uh, the division matchup of the Texans. Texans are a team that th- they're, they're a well-coached team. They just don't have enough. They don't. They can't find a way to close out opponents or to take leads. They're usually playing from behind. Damian Pierce is a great running rookie running back. Uh, he was getting overshadowed shadowed by Bryce Brees Hall, who just got who had to tear his ACL. Then Kenneth Walker's now burst onto the scene. If not for th- these guys with their flash and him being on the Texas, Damian Pierce would probably be in the talks for a rookie of the year candidate. But He's really great. Brandon Cooks is is still good. Uh, they're finding creative ways to get Brevin and Jordan involved. It's just not a complete team. Now, you just had an emotional win, a hard-fought, grit, grind kind of win against the Colts, and you're heading on the road to Houston where this kind of feels like a trap game, even though the Mike Vrabel does a good job of avoiding trap games, but sometimes you just can't avoid what your players are thinking about and you can't control it. But you got the Chiefs on Sunday night after this game. Kind of smells like a little bit of a, a upset with everybody being banged up. We do We did talk about already whether or not they should play Ryan Tannehill or whether he will play. In, where where do you level of concern that the Titans lose this game? Like, I'm not concerned if they lose the game about what it says about the team, right? Like, if, yeah. if they lose the game, they lose the game. It's not the end of the world. They're still in control of the division in my mind. It's not the end of the world. But does it do something to affect them? Like, what what is the level of concern for this game? I think, I mean, I, I as far as, like, the concern that they could lose this game, I think it's pretty high because I do think the Texans are flawed. Obviously they don't have a ton of talent, but 
Um, they do have some talent. Like Jerry Hughes is an older guy, but he's playing really good football for them. Um, you know, Malik Collins is a really good pass rusher for them. You know, Rasheem Green's been pretty good. They've they've been able to get after quarterbacks a little bit. Um, you know, Byron or uh, Derek Stingley Jr. Uh, going with the Byron uh, Byron Stingley uh, Titans throwback. Um, but Derek Stingley Jr. obviously talented corner. Not that you know. Not that that really matters against the Titans because you don't have anyone for him to cover. Um, but, uh, you know, Desmond King's playing well. They're, they've got some guys on defense. And then, you know, on offense, their tackles are pretty good. Um, the interior is questionable on the offensive line. So I think, you know, Simmons and and Tard and, you know, Autry and whoever they throw in the middle there will, will probably have good days in this in this game. But they can run the ball. Um it's it's definitely a spot where it's a dangerous game for the Titans if you if you got either a banged up Tannehill or Malik Willis, which you're gonna have one of those two. So it's, it's gonna be a dangerous game um, for them. And but yeah, like you said, like long term, if they lose this game, it might make things a little bit more uncomfortable in the division to where like the Colts. I know we just dismiss them, but. They are three, three, and one. They're not like they're basically a game, a game back uh, of the Titans right now. Um, so you don't want to lose and like leave the leave, leave them the hanging open. around for a couple of weeks. Yeah, you don't you don't want to leave the door open to where like you know say say Ellinger does do something to to nudge that offense in a little bit more positive direction. Like I said, the Colts defense is legit good. It, it is the real deal. Um, so I think that Colts defense is going to be good enough to win them some games. So you don't want to leave the door cracked for them to, to make things tight towards the end of the season. So from a just straight up standing standpoint, this is a game you do need to win because Kansas city's looming next. I I don't have a lot of hope for the Titans going on the road and, and beating Kansas city. Um, you know, despite all the success that they've had against them in, in recent years, um, it's it, it's a it's an important game. It's and it's kind of a tough matchup, honestly. I, I think it, tougher than what it looks like on paper, anyways. Yeah, the uh, I think it's going to be a lot tougher than what people think. I think people are being very they're being too dismissive of the Texans in general for this offensive line in the current states. In I think that our defense can handle the the Titans' defense can handle the business, but I don't think it's going to be hard for the offense to move the ball through just Derrick Henry. I feel like, cause I feel like this Lovey Smith defense is going to be, have a pretty good idea on how to contain Derrick Henry. So it's going to be very interesting to see. I think this is going to be a close game, like almost like a 24, 21 kind of deal. Oh, where it comes I, I down to the wire. I think it's 13, nine, something like oh, that. Okay. I think it's, this is going to be a total rock fight. Uh, so There's going to be, be a, lot of, a lot of kickers. So a very boring game. Is what you're oh, saying. yeah. I think this will be an extremely boring game to watch because I, I don't I don't know that either offense tops 250 total yards. But it's even if they do lose, don't freak out. Unless they lose yeah. like 35 to zero with Ryan Tannehill in and he gets injured and even worse or something like that. Unless it's like a big blowout. But it, it shouldn't be. Even, even if even, the Titans lose, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. You should not go and like try to fire everybody. Yeah, even even if they got blown out, honestly, like 
if it's just like Tannehill's out there dragging a leg around and can't move and, you know, we know the offensive line has problems and Houston's just, you know, all geared up to stop the run and, and you know, there is zero threat. Like the Titans already have very little threat of, of a passing attack, but if Tannehill is looking very uncomfortable dropping back, it's going to be 10 times worse. Like teams are just going to be like, okay, now we can really just tee off on the run game. Like this is uh, – I mean, I could see it being ugly. I, I could see the offense being very, very ugly in this game if Tannehill is not closer to healthy and and they don't, you know, still don't have Kyle Phillips and and all that. So, okay, uh, yeah, it, it's a tough, it's a tough spot. I got a question for you. This is what we'll end yeah. on. Let's say Tannehill doesn't play. Malik Willis plays. This is Week Eight. There was a Week Eight quarterback switch a couple of years ago. No, no, Malik Willis. Goes for 300 all-purpose yards. We're going to say passing yards and rushing yards and gets three total touchdowns. So let's say two through the air, one on the ground. Okay. Okay? Let's say just one interception, no fumbles. Do they rest Ryan Tannehill another week? And then if if Malik Willis plays against the Chiefs in prime time, defeats the Chiefs. What do you do? I mean, look, look, if Malik Willis comes in and just starts lighting it up, I mean, you kind of got to stick with him, right? I mean, and this is no slide at Tannehill, but the offense has been pretty stagnant. Um, And we all know that there's reasons besides Tannehill that that is true. But if, if Willis, who does have like that special ability that he can kind of erase some mistakes, you know, avoid pass rushers, make plays out of structure, that kind of thing. If he just is able to do it and and makes this offense go at a different level, I mean, it's not a it's not a complete zero possibility, right? I mean, I think it's unlikely that that's how things would play out, but it's not it's not out of the question. It would it, the the weirdest possible thing would be yeah, Malik comes out and just balls out against the Texans and then you have a a full-fledged quarterback controversy out of nowhere. I mean, you know it would happen. Whether whether it would be correct or not, whether the coaching staff would be considering it or not, if Malik Willis comes in and plays well and they win and score more than like 20 points, um there will there will the phone lines will be loaded uh on, on Monday morning for uh for Malik Willis to be the quarterback. I guarantee it. It, it will be an interesting week. I'm kind of rooting for it to happen, obviously for the Titans' future as well, but also the drama. The drama. Oh, I mean, it would be delicious drama. I, I, I would look. That's the best possible scenario for the Titans right. ever, right? Is that Malik Willis does come in and just becomes this superstar? I, everyone's rooting for that. I don't yeah. think it's going to happen, but I, everyone is rooting for. It. All right, that will do it for us at Football and Other F-Words. Mike, you are going to be breaking down the Mason Kinsey catch on the sideline frame by frame, right? Uh, oh, his yeah. only NFL catch during the regular season was on a Matt Ryan errant throw where it looked like he was throwing to a little child who reached up you know, and caught the ball in the crowd. That's what Mason Kinsey looked like. Are you going to break it down frame by frame in the Mike Herndon show? We are. We're going to it's a Pruder film, that thing, and uh, really get into the, the nitty-gritty of how great that catch was and, and, and what it means for his Hall of Fame induction in, in 20 years. Well, that will be for uh, the Mike Herndon show. You can catch that on Thursdays exclusively at broadwaysportsmedia.com. 
you have to be a Broadway insider to see the full episode and to see, you know, the film breakdown of Macy Kinsey's spectacular catch on the sidelines. And then, of course, go to on Wednesdays, go to paulkarski.com to read uh, some articles on uh, that Mike has written about the Titans. We'll figure it out on Wednesday what you wrote. We're going to keep it a surprise every show. Uh, we're never going to spoil that for you. So it's a surprise. He's got an article. That's it. <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. You can follow me on Twitter at Edwards Pod. We are brought to you by Jaspers. This has been football and other Edwards, and you have just been effed. Broadway Sports Media Production.